All right, everybody, welcome back to Farmer's Jam Radio. I'm your host, James Carr. Thank you so much for tuning in. We got a great interview for you today featuring Zach, Alana, and Harlan from Levity Farms. We were very happy to hook them up with 10 fruit trees from our fruit tree giveaway, which took place earlier this year. Now, for fans of Farmer's Jam, you know that we contribute percentages of our sales as well as uh, proceeds from our events to our fruit tree fund. So right now, you can pre-order Strawberry Lemonade Farmer's Jam. It's a big, big time of year, y'all, because we always sell out of Strawberry Lemonade. So if you want to guarantee your supply this year, your best move is to go ahead and pre-order those jars. And when you do, you're gonna support farmers like Zach and Alana. So I'm very excited to present this interview for you today because they talk a lot about their farming philosophy and uh, why it's so important to build soil and build community. And these are exactly the kind of farmers that we wanna support. And before we get to the interview, we've got a heater coming for you. This is from Zach's music career. We got some heavy metal here for you folks. When I tell you that farmers love to jam out and play music, woo! This is to a whole nother level. So enjoy this track called Degloving Injury. Very appropriate for a farmer, by the way. We will catch you on the other side with more from Zach and Alana at Levity Farms. All right, everybody, welcome back to Farmer's Jam Radio. We are here now with Zach and Alana and Harlan from Levity Farms Family. How are y'all doing? Hey, doing great. Good morning, we're good. How, uh, real quick, I mean, we had, a, we had a really harsh late freeze. Were you guys scrambling around this weekend? Yeah, naturally we were scrambling. However, we didn't plant a lot of food before the freeze because this has happened so many times in the past. So we mm. tried our best to, to hold back on planting. However, we did. Hard. However, it was still difficult, and we had the plastic fly off one of our tunnels. So oh, that was mm-hmm. it was cold. It was windy. It was tough. Yeah. Yeah. So with that plastic, do you just have to totally replace it or, or can you, can you save 
like, <laughs> were you able to go to some far flung part of your farm and rescue it? <laughs> it, it didn't fully like part of it is still away. attached to the tunnel, so it's not like it flew up into a tree or something. It's all salvageable. Okay. The only thing is time. Yeah, is valuable asset yeah. on here. I think last year was it late April? We had that deep. No, it wasn't deep freeze. It was a frost. Oh, it wasn't even a deep freeze, but it it took out like. 80% of our, what, eggplant and some of our peppers. Oh, yeah, April 23rd last year. Ooh, that is pretty late. What is the average last freeze date? It's got to be around there, right? Yeah, so, it, well, for our zone, it's, I think, around March 20th. Oh, um, wow. 23rd. Yeah. But we're sort of, we're, we're oh, technically in 8A, but we're right, we're really close oh, to 7B, so we're sort of, Going by the zone seven frost date, mm-hmm. um, so we're just we're just holding back a little bit. But you know, like everything else, when issues happen with the farm, all you can do is really just laugh it off and keep moving forward. <laughs> well, there are other things you can do. You can go kind of crazy for a little while first, and then get to a place where you're ready to laugh it yeah. off. And move <laughs> after you crumble, after you crumble on the ground in lime fetal position and then cry for a second, then you can stand up and be like, "All right, it's okay." <laughs> Oh, the life of a farmer. Um, okay, well, I think that. So let's let's chat a little bit more about your farm. Maybe some more the the brighter side. Y'all purchased land. Was it just before the pandemic started? Like a week before. Yeah, a week much. before. <laughs> it was really strange timing. We found this property in Madison that was an old farm that someone was selling it had been on the market for almost a year hmm. and yeah we found the property around february and said okay we're going to move forward with this and we reached out to the farm service agency agency fsa to start the application well long story short right right as we were putting the application in in march everything just started shutting down so we were able to start the move early and we ended up closing on the property in August of 2020. It took just a little while to get all the paperwork. It was late. Wow. But the seller let us start moving. Planting tomatoes and things like that. Yeah, early. Oh, and wow. he just said, well, if y'all don't end up closing, I'm just going to keep all your tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sounds like mildly like a threat. <laughs> We, we had been um, renting property since we launched the business in 2017, and we always knew that we would eventually be looking to buy some land where we could live because our rental property, we were never going to be able to live on site. Mm. And part of why we're doing what we're doing is to build a lifestyle, not just to build a business. So um, we would work all year and then kind of winter time when there's still work to do, but a little bit less in the field. That's when we would property hunt, essentially. And mm. Uh, we came pretty close to finding some good property throughout the years a couple times, but it never really worked out. It wasn't really right. And um, in 2020, at the Georgia Organics Conference, actually, in Athens, um, usually February, here you go. Our uh, two-and-a-half-year-old is learning about mixing paint colors right now, so excuse me. Ooh, um, that's fun. <laughs> Um, in February, usually we're, we're, we're of the mindset where, okay, we haven't found something. It's about to be spring. We're probably done property hunting for the year. We'll try again next winter. Hmm. Um, but we were at this conference and we had never looked, we had never looked, it's right here. 
We had never looked east of Atlanta. We always wanted, knew that we wanted to go up north toward the mountains, um, find some property, you know, almost toward Tennessee, northwest Georgia. Um, and so we hadn't even considered looking out here, but we were at the conference and we just said, you know, why don't we just take a look and see what's out this way? And Madison is uh, between 30 minutes and an hour from Athens, depending on who's driving. And so it was within our search radius, and we found this little town, and we thought, oh, well, that could be cool. And we knew somebody else who had just bought property out here, and we thought, well, why don't we just go take a look? And we just fell in love with the little town. The little downtown area is so awesome, and there's beautiful land for sale. And at the time, it was at pretty reasonable prices. And we actually found another property um, and made an appointment to go see it. But before we could even go see it, it was already under contract. And we were like, okay, mm. we got to move on land out here. Yeah. <laughs> so not, not, to mention, not to mention the six acres of uh, eight-foot deer fencing that was already involved. Yeah, there are a lot of reasons why this was the right property for us. Oh, so we wow. found it in, in late February and then... Hey, can you, can you turn that off for now, please? Compose it later. Yeah. Sorry about that, James. No worries. No worries. Part of part of the part of the lifestyle is raising the family together here on site. So we don't we don't have daycare. We um, Harlan's with us all the time. Um, but yeah, so we did the move, and it was it was a wild move. I mean, we were really moving through the pandemic, so. It was great because there was no traffic at all. Um, yeah. There was a, there was a lot of people looking for fresh, healthy food, so we were able to move a lot of food at the same time. But it's been it's been very difficult, and we are established now um, on site. We there was a pole barn on the property that we've finished out and built a little part of it as a insulated living space for us. So we've been in here for almost a year now. Oh, wow. Okay. So just to kind of go back a little bit, basically, if y'all had not had that moment of inspiration at the Georgia Organics conference, you would have still been on the rental property you were on before. I mean, that it's, I'm just, just based on everything that seems like a real, you know, moment that really changed y'all's lives. Honestly, it was a pivotal. Probably. It was a pivotal moment, or at least I don't know if we would still have we would still be there, but I don't see any way that we would have been able to purchase oh, land God. if it hadn't been for that. I mean, that was pretty much the last minute before everything yeah. kind of the world turned off for a little while. Our families are in Marietta and Roswell, so we were tr we were looking for something a little up north to kind of be closer to them, but it was just getting so expensive and so congested yeah. that we weren't, it was out of our price range, yeah. which was very low. Just the property taxes alone were just really insanely high. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, and that's, I think the one of, well, I'll just say for sure, cause I don't know, but one of the biggest challenges of getting into farming is the land itself, which is obviously the most essential part. <laughs> um, what kind of, um, you know, I don't know, hoops did y'all have to jump through just to get to this point? And it sounds like you had a years-long search as well. Yeah, so basically we knew from almost the get-go that we were going to apply for 
funding through the Farm Service Agency, through the FSA. And to have access to those loans and those interest rates, a farmer needs three years of tax returns that show that they are managing fields or or what? Because they're actually serious farmers. Yeah. So mm-hmm. basically in January of 2020, that was we filed our taxes on the 20th, and we had our three years of tax returns, so we went ahead and started applying. Even though we didn't know. Even though we didn't know where it was going to be, but then it all kind of, kind of pieces started falling into place. But the FSA was great. They they require a lot, so we tried to make it a point at the very beginning to keep our books as organized and clean as possible. So they were books from day one. Yeah, so everything was easily legible. And so so yeah, that was um and basically it was just a lot of our own personal time searching, trying all these different things. Um sorry, our cat's jumping up and down. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Everybody's taking part in the interview today. Oh boy. <laughs> but yeah, uh, the FSA was a great resource. Um, They're so helpful. They, they, you know, we, we, at first we were looking at this like this is going to like we're taking a test. Like we have to prove that we deserve this funding, which we did. But at the same time, it's important to remember that the FSA is a is a is a basically a, a branch, obviously of, of the USDA, but it's a collection. The folks who work at the FSA are a collection of individuals who know what a need there is for farmers to have access to this capital, and they want to do what they can to help make sure that the money goes places that it's needed. So they're, mm. we really worked with some really, really awesome agents. They were very helpful, gave us lots of good guidance. And I will say for anyone listening, if you're interested in or want to acquire land of your own and purchase through the FSA, they love this style of farming. They love the smaller scale. They love the the um, just small scale row crops, really, um, and you know fruit trees and animals too. They're used to working with you know thousand acre corn farms and you know monocrop, okay. monocrop soybean farms. So when something like this comes around, I think they're really starting to see the value and how it can posit- positively affect the community. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so they're more willing to work with the farmers, the young farmers especially. But they also, again, they also have to make sure that this money is going to go toward farmers who can manage the business and the land properly. So it's not, you know, essentially kind of like a waste. Um, so that's why they do require some rigorous paperwork and tax documentation, sales forecasting and crop um seeding plans and all that um, but it was zero down mm, oh wow that's pretty big yeah well cool I, and i think that actually um that's first of all fantastic insight and i have to say <laughs> i really wish i had kept detailed accounting um with farmers jam because i'm you know it's not the same but at the end of the day if you want to get any kind of capital from just about anyone you got to have some detailed records and be able to show what you've you've done so very wise move on your part to start that process immediately um but perfect segue for us to describe you know your style of farming and um i've known you for a while um i actually i think 
We have a friend in common, Jamie Rosenthal. Uh, I hung out with him quite a bit when he was at Wolf Scratch Farm. Um, and that's where I really started learning about permaculture and um, all this kind of stuff. And I understand that's kind of what you're doing. And I got a little glimpse of that at the fruit tree giveaway. I think y'all went home with somewhere around 10 trees. And you kind of started describing a little bit about your your plan for that and your vision for how you were going to plant them and, and what it was going to be like. So I'm kind of, can you just describe like your methodology and your approach to farming and then um, tell us about your plan for trees? And if you could, as you're explaining, just give a little description of what guilds are and, and how they help build soil and that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So our the way we got into farming, farming vegetables, was through permaculture and through studying Bill Mollison and just mm. looking at the whole a whole system design approach, um, and all and how all the aspects of, of an ecologically sound system work together. So basically, and and growing through permaculture research, you know, we found ourselves at Wool Scratch Farm. And we love Jamie. We love that family. And, you know, we learned so much working there. I volunteered in 2014, and I came on farm manager in 2015. And Alana moved up there in 2015 as well. Oh, wow. And so we learned a lot. Wait, is that where y'all met? No, we met way back in the day. In the summer of 2009. Yeah. At the land trust. Oh, okay. We were were just friends for all those years until 2015 when we were both living at Permaculture Farm. I mean, Zach already had a, a crush on me, if we're being honest. But he <laughs> somehow, somehow got me to come and visit the farm, Jamie's farm, Wolf Scratch. And when I was there, I had never, I mean, I don't even think I ever planted a tomato plant in my life. And when I was there, it was just, you know, we saw this family. There was Jamie and his wife and their daughter, and they were raising um, a family and animals on this beautiful property and you know, it was spring in North Georgia, just beautiful, lush yeah. butterflies. I mean, the air was basically like singing in my ear. And we decided then and there that we wanted to we wanted to live that way. We wanted to build that for ourselves and have a family. And we kind of looked at each other and we were like, well, why don't we just like do this together if we both want the same thing? It was like, I mean, I kind of love you. Yeah, we always said we love each other. Yeah, we always said I love you anyway to each other. We're like, hey, let's start family. It just makes the most. It just made the most sense to us at the time. Wow. And, and during that time, I was in school at Chattahoochee Tech, studying horticulture, getting an associate's degree, um, and I was able to do an internship at Wolf Scratch as credits for the school, which was great. And mm, learning about yeah. grading and drainage and greenhouse work. There wasn't a lot of organics at Chattahoochee Tech, but I think that might have changed now. Um, and I had never heard of, I mean, like I said, I'd never grown or gardened or anything, let alone even heard the term permaculture. So um, my introduction, and, and I mean, Zach, you had done a little gardening and some planting in the past, but really both of our first real introduction to agriculture was through permaculture. Yeah. So it's not like we started studying conventional farming methods and then had to relearn everything. It's it's basically mm-hmm. the, the only way to farm that we've ever really known. And we're trying to figure, we're still trying to figure out if you can make a full living 
on adjusted permaculture design. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we started looking into, we started just devouring content all over the place and we found Curtis Stone and started looking into profitable urban farming and um, high rotational crops, uh, selling wholesale and kind of integrating a vegetable system inside of a whole permaculture design. So basically over the last five years, we've been focusing heavily on growing the vegetables and making sure we have all the systems and the routines set, making all the mistakes we can to learn as much as we can about all the vegetables and soil. Getting a handle on row crop production. Yep. Mm -hmm. And now we're at the point with owning land where we can start growing into orchard work and fruit trees and building the ecology of the land here through certain pollinators and pioneer species and such and designing it in in such a way that it works together. We, I mean, we've seen firsthand that if you, if you plant comfrey and yarrow around your vegetable plots, the parasitic wasp will swarm around it and fly into the beds and just eat the flea beetles. And so it's a, it's a natural, it's a natural insect or pest, repellent pretty much one of the many benefits of having like a whole design system that we're that we're that where we're basically trying to use as few imported um, amendments and test maintenance um, as possible we would really like for the whole system to be running itself um, and and like Zach said now that we own land we can really set that up because that really requires planting perennials and trees and some sometimes it involves some land moving and lots of animals lots of animal systems which is another thing we can really get into now that again we know we're going to be here for as long as we want which is going to hopefully be fun. yeah there's a concept it's are you familiar with silvopasture uh yeah there's a bit of well actually if you could could you explain the difference between like agroecology and silvopasture if there is one. <laughs> Silvopasture, from from what I understand, is planting fruit trees and planting a, a semi-orchard, letting it get established for a few years and until the plants are maybe 12 feet tall, and then running animal systems under them. So you can run pigs or sheep like or chickens or even cows yeah and basically they'll clean up all the rotten fruit that falls they'll keep the trees pruned at the bottom and mm. they'll also fertilize everything and, they eat pests. and yeah eat the pests and they'll fertilize the trees so it's a system similar to like aquaponics where if you do the legwork to get it set up you can let it run its course and it kind of maintains itself. Yeah. So, as you know, as stewards of the land, we are helping get the systems in place. And then sometimes really sitting back and letting nature take over and seeing what happens and testing these things out. Now, it's difficult with vegetable production because with vegetable production, we, we keep a very close eye on it, mm -hmm. cultivate the soil, we build the soil, we fertilize, we cover crop, and we try to keep the weeds out. But as we grow into the silvopasture orchard space mm -hmm. with the trees, um, 
we we need to kind of get them set up for success. So that's mm-hmm. where like the guilds would come in. Mm-hmm. It's you know one of the upsides of constantly controlled row crop vegetable growing the way we're doing it now is. I mean, the word control to a degree, I mean, once you have your soil built up and you've got sort of a reliable production coming out of your plot, um, to a degree you can control, you know, what they're, what the plants are getting, how much water, if they're covered, or if you've got field irrigation, um, how many amendments, when they get planted out, when, you know, whether you transplant them or direct sowing, you have a lot of control to try Mm -hmm. and create predictable outcomes. Um, which is very helpful if you know you're going to need to basically make some money on a certain schedule um, with, with like, food forest-type spaces and silvopasture um, practices. It's At the beginning, it's a lot less reliable and consistent because it's all still getting established, and um, it's just, you know, the animals have kind of more con- – animals have a little bit of control over how things are happening as well. So that's more of our – long term like a few years down the road getting into those more res- i think i mean we we agree they're more uh, resilient permanent animal and plant systems but for now we're still focusing a lot on the controlled row crop system again just to get us to the point where we're ready to really build up the um orchard spaces yeah, that I mean that makes total sense. I'm guessing it would take what a minimum of five to seven years to 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 really start getting that system set up. Is that about right? Yeah, we're calling it our seven year plan. Yeah, so there you go. We have a seven year plan from when we got here to transform this property because I guess a little backstory about the property we're on now. It. It's a rehabilitation project here. What's going on? Um, the the seller, he's, the soil and for us. <laughs> yeah, soil and for us. So the seller, he lives next door. He's amazing. Um, he basically cleared the entire property of trees. It was all pine. It was all pine, Ooh. and, and he, he regraded it, and then brought in topsoil so that he could farm it. And deer fencing. And put the deer fencing up in the barn, and he farmed it for a year, and then he had some health complications and. He wanted to put it up on the market. So well, from our back, he wanted to, but he had to. Yeah, he, he had to. But basically our background, you know, we we're, were just used to being surrounded by lots of weeds and just lush, everything. Rich soil, rich fertile. Yeah. So the soil here is different and it's mm. taken some building. He also, he did grow food on here for a year before his health complications arose. And his practices were a little bit more conventional. So rather than planting a lot of um, cover, crop. cover crop and rather than feeding the soil more of like green manure and organic compost types, it was more like chemical amendments, um, which worked for him, but it's we don't know anything about, we don't even know how to farm that way yeah, if we, we wanted to. We don't know how to mm. not farm organically. Really. <laughs> <laughs> so we just loaded compost and cover crops, everything, and... It's it's working out. We got our soil test back a couple weeks ago, and things are looking way better from last year. So we're we're we still, still have a ways to go. We're still building it back, building it up. Well, what what just in, on that soil test? Like, what what are some of the things that showed up um, in this most recent test compared to like the first one you did? So we raised our pH 
um, substantially, and it went from five nine to six five, six seven. Mm-hmm. We took a bunch of different samples throughout the field, mm-hmm. um, which was which was great to see. In a year, we raised our phosphorus levels because they were dangerously low at the beginning, and we have our potassium's looking pretty good, but our micronutrients are a little bit low. So, but they're they're more than they were in the first year. So, we have clay soil here. And we've Which been, we've also had never worked with before. Yeah, we've, we've never worked mm. with clay. But we've just been adding organic matter and integrating the organic matter into the soil. Um, and we also were, were trying out this new product. Well, actually, one product that we really like to work with, it's uh, Soil Microbes from this company called My- Microbes, M-I-K-R-O-B-S. And it's basically these microbial super packs that we run through our drip lines. So it's just like a dehydrated powder they send you, and you just, like, fertigate with it. Yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, we just have been inoculating the field. We have been putting wood chips in our aisles mm-hmm. and just getting as much organic matter out there as possible. Learned about the wood chips from Jesse Frost. Yeah. From his book. That was and, yeah, it's working. It's, um, it's actually working. Yeah, that's, that's great. And I... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was, you know, I was just going to add a little bit about the, the clay soil and what a big difference it is. Um, you know, there's no like one perfect solution for everything. If you have really loose, silky soil, then it do, it doesn't really hold water. It, it, it could dry out very quickly, and so you have to water a lot. If you have heavier clay soil, it holds water really well, but unfortunately, clay is packed together so densely that um, amendments that we add to the soil can just wash right off sometimes. It's also, mm. it can be difficult for the roots to penetrate the clay and travel through. So, um, we had to invest in a tractor. We had never farmed with a tractor before. We had a BCS at the old property, which we still have. And we love our, we love the BCS. Um, it's, it's good for doing some bed work, but we got out here. And so what we were farming, that was about an acre and a half. And it was all kind of on, like, this terracing. It wasn't, like, one big flat field at the old farm. The BCS was perfect because we could just drive it over our 50 to 100-foot plots one at a time. But this new property we got here, and our neighbor, who sold us the land, he came over and he said, so where's your tractor? And we showed him the BCS. Oh, no. And he said, he's like, okay, we'll yeah, see. Sure. And we were like, no, we don't We don't use track. We don't really want a big tractor. We're just going to do it with this little guy and do it by hand. And, um after a while, we we realized that the track, the big, we, we have a big, um, it's, a, it's a compact tractor, right, yeah. that we have. We got a tractor, and we realized tractor doesn't mean that you're necessarily hurting or, or lessening the health of the soil. You can use the tractor in ways that are actually really building and remediating the soil. We, got a turn, we had a turnover plow I found for 100 bucks on Facebook Marketplace. It basically just flips the soil on top itself. So you can mm. take cover crops and just flip them upside down. And, oh, wow. Yeah, get it an 8 to 12-inch deep area where organic matter is getting cycled through there mm. without killing and just destroying everything. It, it's, it's still a little bit invasive into that first layer of soil and the microbiology under there. But we figure... For now, we kind of have to get the soil to a place where it's workable. 
um, where we eventually will no longer have to be going too deep to be turning it and moving it. Um, because if we just keep not going deep into the soil, then it's, unfortunately it doesn't appear that we're, we would be able to – it really improves the soil beyond the first couple inches. Yeah. Well, I was just going to note that it would be hard to wipe out the, the you know, nutrients in the soil that aren't there. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, okay. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. I had a, as we discussed before, I had a whole flow of how this was going to go. And we covered just about everything, just chatting normally. So, Awesome. I've really enjoyed this. But the last thing I wanted to bring up is that, Zach, you are a drummer. Um, we have yet to be able to jam out with you with a Farmer's Jam band, although your um, cowbell has been helpful at a couple of shows. Um, um, cool, cool. <laughs> can you, um, sort of similarly to your, your farming journey, can you tell us a little bit about your, your musical journey and, um, you know, sort of, generally how creative expression in both farming and, and, and playing music, like what, what those things have in common. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> well, yeah, Alana and I pretty much met through music and we've danced around the country together pretty much. Cool. Uh, all different types of music. We, we love, we love it all. Um, I personally love like extreme metal and fast punk rock <laughs> and destructive music and, but I also listen to like almost ambient, barely music at all, just like, you know, luscious soundscapes. And um, mm. yeah, Lana introduced me to bluegrass and um, railroad earth and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I've been playing drums since I was in, like in eighth grade or something, maybe even earlier, some, around over 20 years, I think like that. Um, played in a lot of bands in Atlanta, mainly one it's called Irreversible. And that was from 2006 to 2015, um, ambient psychedelic metal. And that was, that was a fun project. We did about eight, eight albums, all of like DIY oh, wow. stuff. We didn't tour. We just kept it real close to home. But as you know, as we started getting into farming in the farming world, um, I basically, I, I read this book in 2007 called the secret life of plants about plant consciousness. Yeah. And it just, opened me up completely and so that's that was kind of the beginning of it but as we got more into it and realized how many factors are at play in a farm I started to look at it like a symphony so we as humans are almost like the conductors of the symphony that's that's being played out and you know with without without us as the conductors involved you know it would grow into what's it, it's essentially chaos, but people look at nature and it's beautiful. It has its own design, but oh, with the nature, we have our role too. Yeah, but with the true human design in it, which is actually the name of a sugar album, which is another whole side story. <laughs> um, <laughs> but with our our involvement in it, we can kind of conduct it in a way to help, help not speed up the process, but yeah, orchestrate it. So we kind of look at it like. Um, like each element is like an instrument. So I look at maybe like the flowering plants that happen are kind of like the lead guitars or like the soil is almost like the bass drum of, of the entire thing. 
and the leafy greens are kind of like maybe the vocals and you know you can have you can look at it as like you know the rain and the weather is like the environment or like the feel of the music that you're tempo. yeah the tempo that yeah. you're listening to if it's like a thunderstorm you know it can be mm. like you know crazy music or if it's a beautiful day it's just like a gentle ballad mm-hmm. or something <laughs> Who's the brass section? The brass section or the horns? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the tomatoes. The tomatoes and oh, the eggplants, the tuba. Eggplants and tuba. Maybe the pumpkins and the tuba. Oh, no. <laughs> but, you know, there's a rhythm. There's a rhythm in play. And so you always have to know, as a drummer, when you're playing, you have to know what's coming next. But if you're thinking about what's coming next, you're going to miss it. Mm. So the more, you think, the more you think about it and try to hold on to it, the more it slips away. So as you grow with farming, you have to build your intuition to to know the rhythm of of how of how it works and just really trust yourself and and trust the flow of it. If that makes sense, I know that was kind of no. I, I think it makes perfect sense because I, it, it actually brings us back full circle, right? I mean, the average just going back a year, the average date of the last frost is in late March. And if you just go by the book, then you're like, cool, let's just get all our planting done, right? But now y'all have learned that actually we, we don't trust that <laughs> date. We, we know what it can be like here. So, you know, you're making a more a decision based more on, on instinct. It sounds like you're, you're starting to find the flow of your new site. Yeah, and you, you know the climate is changing. It's uh, things are different. Things are very erratic and very strange. Yeah. And so it's our our goal as farmers now to become climate resilient. So building the systems to be, be more resilient. So you know animals if, are a huge part of that. If we had you know six hundred blueberry plants, they would all be toast right now. So yeah. instead of having that, maybe diversifying all over the place. You have a lot of lot more systems in place that can bring in income and feed your family. It takes more planning and setting up and it's a little bit more of an intricate design, but it, cr- it creates resiliency and diversity. And those are both really great things. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And, and, you know, whether we're talking about climate change or we're talking about the the, the war that we're seeing right now and the, the fact that that's going to impact wheat all across the world and um, people who buy fertilizer, Russia's the number one exporter of fertilizer. You're not getting any fertilizer from them, not in this country, um, for the next year or so. So systems thinking is something that just as a generation, I think we have to get to get back. Um, you know, there's just, it seems like we've had I guess to use another ag pun, there's just been a lot of erosion within our institutions that they seem to be getting hollowed out and less and less useful. And, you know, you end up on a farm that just has no real um, life in it. And you end up in this place where you're spraying and spraying and spraying every single year because now your life depends on this soil that really isn't very good. And, you know, it feels like that really is a metaphor for where we're at as a world. We've been going in one direction and people have been like, we can't keep going in this direction. It doesn't, doesn't make sense to be relying on external sources to run your own. I, I, to me, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. If, if you want to start farming or gardening and all you can do is, is buy compost and import 
seeds and things like that. Do what you got to do to get started. By all means, it's still better than nothing. But our goal ultimately is to be producing all of our own, um, um, all of our own inputs for the soil, so that even you know, war or no war, um, supply right. chain breakdown or no supply chain breakdown, whatever's going on, I don't really want my life to depend on what somebody else can give me. I mean, to a degree, we we do exist within communities, and we do you know rely on each other in some in many ways, and we work together with our with our our neighbors and our our fellow community members, but at the same time, it's just, it just, to us, it just makes the most sense to reduce the number of reasons why somebody else basically has control over what we are able to provide for ourselves. Yeah, it's one thing to be willing to surrender to Mother Nature, but, you know, to conflict on the other side of the world, <laughs> that's tough. That's pretty tough. Um, well, I've really loved talking with y'all. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we, we, I hope we didn't talk too. I don't know how long this um, podcast was, this episode was supposed to be, but we really like talking to you too. So I hope we didn't just ramble for too long. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, I've been, I've had kind of a, a like, I want to keep them between 20 and 30 minutes, but that's because I'm worried that I'm going to be like, oh, rambling and stuff. So I kind of have an arbitrary time, but as long as the conversation's interesting and flowing, then like I don't see any reason for it to to stop. Although, you know, there is life to consider. I do have to stop at some point. <laughs> um, and that's no, important. This, that's important part of permaculture is um, earth care. People care and um, setting limitations and boundaries. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, let's let's um, let's just go ahead and, and wrap up now um, because I do feel like we could probably talk for another hour and I do think it would be great but I think more importantly let's just have you guys back on I'd love to hear more about updates and how things are going you're in a really unique position in terms of where you're at in your whole family life we didn't even get to chat about um, what it's like raising a, a family on the farm so I think there's plenty more for us to chat about and um, um yeah, we'd just would love to, to follow along with with your journey because, uh, you know, what we really want to be showing Farmers Jam. A big part of why it exists is that we want to be calling attention to the kind of people who we support and the kind of values that we believe in in terms of building community, building soil, healthy food, um, being outside. And I think y'all just really represent that well. So I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, we were able to support y'all with some trees. I'm grateful that we had this time to talk and I definitely look forward to more. And I know we kind of mentioned it, nothing on the, in the works yet, but we'd love to come jam out at the farm at some point because that would be awesome. And thank you so much for having us on. We, we're so grateful for the fruit trees. Cannot wait. We, we actually went ahead and potted them up because we want to wait and make sure that where we plant them is their permanent location and that it's really the right place. Mm. Um, but we are so excited for those. And thank you for orchestrating that. It's going to make such a difference for us. Can't wait. Yeah, no problem. And for anyone listening who bought some jam last year, that thank you is, is for you as well, because without your support, uh, we can't give away fruit trees. And um, that's what it's all about. So um, Zach, Alana, thank you again so much. And uh, we will catch y'all on the other side. Yeah, thanks, Jane. Thank 
All right, everybody. Hope you all enjoyed meeting Zach, Alana, and Harlan from Levity Farms. Uh, we certainly had a great chat and um, enjoyed getting to know them a bit better. Once again, y'all can support farmers like Zach and Alana certainly by buying directly from them. Please do that first. But also, pre-order Farmer's Jam. Go ahead and get in your pre-order for our Strawberry Lemonade Farmer's Jam. You can do that at www.thefarmersjam.com and uh, get yourself some delicious jars of jam. Every jar we sell helps us give away more fruit trees to more farmers who farm like Zach and Alana. And we're very, very grateful to them for all the work that they're doing right now to make our world a happier, healthier, better place to live. Farmer's Jam Radio is presented by Longleaf Media. I am your host. Farmer's Jam Radio is produced by Cam Christian with music by Nomad. Very much appreciate y'all checking in with us. Stay safe out there and jam on. Jam on.